0: I thought I turned it on. I must have hit it with my finger or something. You know, um, <clears throat> the time changing when you're preaching is kind of freaks you out because you don't want to be late. And, but there are really no excuses. There are no excuses for uh, being late with smartphones and smart devices, right? Because they change the time automatically for you you relate to what I'm saying? Although I don't trust them. So I set my alarm on my phone and it seemed like it seemed like I was all night looking at what time it was, wondering if that phone would change. About three o'clock by the new time, I thought, I wonder if it changed. So I got up, I went in the other room, looked at my microwave, which is not a smart microwave. And I thought, okay, it did change. So now I can maybe go to sleep and trust that my alarm's going to go off. It didn't really work that way. Cause I kept waking up, looking at the clock. What time is it? Anyways, that has nothing to do with the sermon. I just thought I'd share that with you. Let you know that I'm a human being. I'm Tim Allen the executive pastor, and I have the privilege of preaching this morning because Pastor John had some surgery done this week. He had uh, some lymph nodes, a couple of lymph nodes removed from under his arm and a a mass, which we're waiting for the reports to come back on that. And which, by the way, if you didn't hear about that, then that tells me you have not signed up to receive our texts through the church because we sent out a prayer request through our text alerts. And so if you haven't done that, I would encourage you maybe to do that. Um, Pastor John asked me when we talked about you know, we weren't sure how his recovery was gonna be, if he would be comfortable. I saw him in the first service. He was walking pretty gingerly. So it was probably good that he's not preaching. But I said, John, you know, he was planning on preaching. And I said, why don't you let me preach this week? And so he, he agreed to that. And he um, asked me to stay in the same text that we were in last week, Ephesians 4, 7 to 16. And um, so if, you're in, if you have your Bibles, you can open to that. We're gonna read it in just a little bit. Um, He asked me to do a little more of the kind of practical application of that text. And so what I'm going to do this morning, again, we'll read the text in a moment, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump off of his sermon from a question he posed last week and also a statement that he made. The question that he posed was, what do you see when you look at yourself? I immediately thought about looking in a mirror. Now, just for the record, Just for the record, the glare you see is from the light above me. Somebody said, Tim, you look like you had a, in the first service, you look like you have a halo around you, uh, around your head. I thought, well, thank you, liar. Um, but But when he posed that question, I thought of, looking in the mirror and, and although you don't have to look in a mirror to think about yourself because you, you know you can think about yourself in your head you don't have to look at yourself to be thinking about yourself but my immediate answer when i was sitting here last week and he asked that question was i don't like what i see every morning when i get up and look in the mirror i don't like what i see i i, I think i look old and ugly i see every blemish and blood spot on my head uh, when I look at pictures, I don't know if you're like me, but when I look at pictures, I, I never like the way I look in pictures. I always think everybody else looks great, but I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way my clothes look. I sometimes think, Lord, why couldn't you give me a GQ body like, like that guy? But no, you gave me this. <clears throat> it's, an exor- it's, a, it's an exercise of discipline for me that when I preach, someone said, you should always go back and listen to your sermons. And it's a discipline for me because I hate the way I sound. When I listen to the sermons, I think, oh, I don't like that. But I do it to try to learn. I sometimes, I'm I'm secure in who I am, just for the record. But I sometimes find myself wishing I was someone else. And I imagine you may not be much different than me. I would imagine you probably have some of these thoughts from time to time. And when John posed that question, I thought, you know, we don't like to look at self. But then as I thought about it through the week, I thought, we don't like to look at self, but we sure spend a lot of time focusing on self. Have you ever wondered why Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, it's in Luke 9, 23 and elsewhere. If anyone would come after me, he must deny self or himself or herself, pick up his cross and follow me daily. Why would he write those, those words? Oh, some I don't know who put this fan up here, but I about burned up in the first service. I just realized, man, that air feels good. God bless you if whoever puts fan up here. You're going to heaven. Um, (laughs) why Why did Jesus say we must deny self? Because obviously it's a problem for us. Obviously we think about self in wrong ways. You hear it in people's terminologies. What's in it for me? What do I get out of this deal? Why didn't you do that for me? I don't like that. I like that. I don't want to do that. I want to do that. I like you. I don't like you. (laughs) That was a good sermon. I didn't get anything out of the sermon. The music was too loud. There wasn't enough hymns. It's hot in here. It's cold in here. Somebody's sitting in my seat. We do it all the time. It's my life, and I will do what I want to do with it. That's self. Now, don't misunderstand. When Pastor John asked us to... Ask this question, what do you see when you, when you look at yourself? He wasn't focusing in on the negative side that I'm bringing up here right now. He was, he was asking us to pay attention to how God wants to use us, to look at the potential that we have in the Lord. He was trying to get us to look at ourselves based on how the, the Lord sees us. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use self in this kind of practical application today, and I'll say more about that in a moment. The statement that he made was, the body of Christ is every believer's responsibility. That was his main point last week. Now process that for a moment. Don't just listen to it, process it for a moment. The body of Christ is every believer's responsibility. Think about it, think about what that says. I don't think most people would would disagree with that statement, but think about it. I looked up some definitions of responsibility because that's obviously the key word. Here's a few of the definitions I I got. The state of being the person who caused something to happen. I didn't think that, I, I, I understand that, but I don't think that's the best definition. This one says the state of being responsible. Wow, thank you answerable, or accountable for something within one's power, control, or management. I I, I understand that. I really think this is probably the best one that I found. Something that is your job or duty to deal with. I think that really grasps the concept of responsibility, although more could be said. And as I said, I think most people would agree with the fact that the church is every believer's responsibility. But I fear that thinking that and actually living that out are two different things. And, my, and I have a tendency to think that we are more like this. I believe that it's my responsibility, but you do it. It's so easy, what I'm saying is it's so easy to be driven by self that we miss the point of the Scriptures, that we miss the point of this text we're going to read in a minute, that we miss the point of what Pastor John has been preaching on in the book of Ephesians. We are so tempted to hear and read things from the Scriptures and think, what does this mean for me Instead of, what does this mean for me within the corporate body of Christ? It's not all about me. I titled this sermon, Grow Up, because it's actually in the text, which you'll read that in just a moment. But I think sometimes we're like little kids, and we need to grow up for the sake of the Lord and his kingdom. Pastor John made this statement last week. We are gifted by Jesus himself to play an instrumental role in the body of Christ. You can imagine when you preach, you do a lot of reading to try to, to, try to make sure you're understanding the text. And I, I picked up another quote from another theologian and he put it this way, a gift, a gift is the spirit of God doing something through the believer for the purpose of building up the body of believers. It is for the profit of the whole body of believers. Now, you may initially struggle with this next statement, but self will make you struggle with it. No gift is given to you to develop you spiritually. A gift is given to you in order that you might function in the body of believers to benefit and bless the church. It's biblical. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, "...to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good." Now, what I want to do is we're going to read the text here in a moment, but what, I want to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, we're going to read the text. I'm going to make three observations. I'll give you three words to remember what the observations are about, and then I'm going to do some practical application. And when we get to the practical application and as I'm giving you the observations, I'm going to tell you how self battles against responsibility. That's kind of where we're going to go this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let's read the text. I've got it on the screen um, behind me if you don't have your Bible with you. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that, but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And I'm going to focus mainly on the next three passages when we get to the actual sermon. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, Ephesians four eleven to thirteen, but really from the entire text, and frankly from Scripture, I'll give you three words. The first one is leadership. You might write authority next to that because the two are somewhat um, are are kind of synonymous with one another. Ephesians four eleven says he gave and he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, I've done a lot of reading on this, a lot of study of this over the years. I understand people want to make a lot of a lot of these special designations of these offices or positions in the church. You know, you'll always read that apostles not only saw the resurrected Christ, but he, was, he also directly and personally commissioned them as apostles, um, and people will want to um, maybe there's discussion about are the apostles all gone or are still apostles today it's an interesting discussion um, but not what I want to focus in on this morning prophets were given particular insight into doctrines of faith and people want to talk about are the prophets still around when the canon of Scripture was completed do we need prophets anymore that's all in there you can study that on your own um, evangelists were traveling missionaries sent into new areas to build up the body of Christ um, and you'll hear about the gift of evangelism, the office of evangelism, and, and all of that. Pastors are set apart to shepherd the flock, and we'll, they want to talk about what does that mean. Teachers instruct the flock in the teachings of our Lord, and people want to talk about our pastors and teachers, the same thing. And again, all good discussions, but I think it kind of misses the point. I think the main point in all of that, in other words, you can get bogged down in all that. I think the main point... Um, By the way, remember, this is not an exhaustive list. There's other things listed in Scripture. It isn't saying all that could be said. But what it is saying is that the Lord has ordered His church. He has given order to His church. He has set up a system, if you will. Now, catch this. The Lord has gifted some to be leaders, if you will, Now catch this, and then he gifts those leaders to his church. So they are set apart to lead the church or to help the church to grow. Now, a pastor, you'll see this in a minute, is set apart to equip the ministers. And I just want to point out to you, Pastor John mentioned that last week. We are, we are called saints in this passage. We are ministers. That's why we don't, talk, we don't call our pastors ministers. They are ministers, we're, but the point is we're all ministers. We all have a responsibility to minister, if you will. Pastors, we use the term pastor, which means we are vocationally set apart to be able to study the word and to lead the flock, if you will. The problem. And what I want to point out with leadership is we so struggle to submit to leadership. And I know submit, even when I use the term, it's a a word that we don't like. But we are under these, these leaders that God has gifted to the church. And the reason we struggle with it is because of the world we live in. Just watch the news. Everybody's got an opinion. We live in a, in, a, in a world that criticizes everything as if that's what we're supposed to do. I'm amazed, by the way, how often people will give opinions and they'll be critical of people, even though they don't have all the information that that leader has. And yet we'll form our opinions and we'll, and we'll criticize. And I think what has happened is that it has snuck into the church and it has created what I will call and others have called a culture of suspicion. A culture of suspicion. It's like it's our job to make sure we miss or that we point out what our leaders are missing and there is some truth to that and it doesn't mean we should never question our leaders but how we do that is what's most important. We are divided We feel like no one can be trusted. How long does someone have to be a leader before you're gonna trust them? See, it's something that's ingrained in us. We feel like everything and everyone ought to be criticized. And that's okay for the world, folks, because that's what the world is. It is not okay for the kingdom of God. I would point out Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. James 5.9 says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We aren't to be complainers and grumblers. And by the way, in the church, we, I want you to know that the tone of voice someone use, uses doesn't change the fact if they're grumbling or not. See, Christians have a tendency to go, oh, they'll lower their voice. They'll put it in a really godly tone but they're still complaining. They're still disrespecting, if you will, and we have to be careful with that. I fear that we're, we in the church, that where the world sneaks in and we become like this. It's not the way we're supposed to be. I showed you these next pictures at Christmas, time, at Christmas Day, if you were here. This is really more the way we should be. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Never miss that. They give an account to the Lord. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. It is so hard for leaders to lead when when everybody's complaining about everything. Now, if I take the, the statement and the question, or if I take responsibility and self, let me show you how it works. A believer's responsibility says we follow the leaders God has put before us. And even as I'm saying that I can hear some of I can hear people saying, "Yeah, but what about the Listen, if you don't trust your leaders, go someplace where you do. It's okay to to question, but when it becomes a complaint, we have to be respectful. Rebellion is an ugly thing. And you won't grow if you're rebellious. You won't. Self says, "You know more and you answer to no one." That's what self says. So are you like that, or are you like that? The second L is learning. You might put growth next to that. I take it primarily from Ephesians 4.12, after the church, after the text, sorry, says that He gave the apostles, the prophets, the, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, He gave them to the church, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Clearly the role of pastors, teachers, leaders in the church, um, they are given to the church to help the saints, to help the ministers, to learn, to grow, to be equipped. And I, I do also want to tell you that many of you who teach the Word of God know this, but never forget it. James 3 1 says, Not many should presume to be teachers, for they will be judged more harshly. Anybody worth their salt will be very careful when teaching the Word of God. They are held accountable by God. Now, my question, though, in reference to learning, my question is what is the role of the learner? What is the role of the learner? The point that I'm trying to get across as I ask that question to you is you can't train or teach anyone if they are unwilling to learn. Which, by the way, you never get too old to learn. We as believers, all of us, have a responsibility, even leaders have a responsibility to learn and grow. We must do all that we can to correctly learn the Word of God. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. I know you know it. It says, Blessed is the man and woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 119, 9 to 11. Many of you have memorized it. How can a young man keep his way pure? by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We're very, we're very thankful for this ministry we have to children on Wednesday nights called Awana. It's not called Awanas. It's called Awana because it's an acronym. The scripture that that is based on is 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. When it comes to the word of God, we are to do our best. When it comes to our life, living for the Lord. We are to do our best. My question is, do we do our best? We need to read the Word, not read it when we just have a little bit of time to do it. We need to make time to read it. We need to meditate on it. We need to study it. We need to learn how we are to live it out, it should not be an addendum to our life. What I mean is, it shouldn't be something that we just look at when we have a little break in our busy lives. It ought to be something we're always studying and always learning and always meditating on, and we make, a pri- we make it a priority in our life. We should take advantage of the things that the church has to offer to help us to, to learn. If we don't, we think we know, we think we know it all. A believer's responsibility is to learn and grow. Self says, "I don't need to. I know it." And I'm just got to tell you, from someone who has studied the Word of God the better part of his adult life, and who still realizes how much he doesn't know and how much he has to learn, if someone says, "I don't need that," you're saying, "You're God." In a sense, practically. Or yourself might say, I want to do that, but I just don't have time. I'm going to get to that in the future. Now, if I talk of some, just a few of the ministries the church has to help you to grow, Sunday morning services, Bible studies throughout the week, small groups, electives, electives. Let me say a little something about electives. And, and I want to say, I'm not complaining, folks. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable in who I am. Um, My feelings aren't hurt, they're not. I'm gonna continue to teach the Word of God like you are until the Lord takes me home. And I'm talking about me personally right now because I I wanna let you know that I taught an elective a few weeks ago. And the elective was practical tools for understanding the Bible. It was how to rightly interpret the Word of God. You know how many people showed up for that elective? 10. Ten. Do we only have ten people in here, in, the, in our church, that want how to learn how to correctly interpret the Word of God? Now listen, I understand. Some didn't come because they were serving. I understand that. And God bless you for that. That's a reasonable reason not to be at something like that. But. Some, I think, don't come to that because, frankly, it's not a priority in their life. And I think, frankly, they don't want to be here two hours. They want to go home. I would just encourage you to think through those things. The third L is leading. Leading. Out next to that, you might put the word service. Just a a synonym of what I'm trying to point out here. Ephesians 4.12 And 13 says, after we have heard that the Lord gave us apostles, prophets, um, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, he gave them to equip the body. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Clearly, clearly you cannot miss it. There's no way. Clearly, the point of equipping the point of equipping the saints is so that they will build up the body. We are called, we teach this in our inquirer's class, we are called to follow the example of Christ. Matthew 20, 26 to 28 says, It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many." The, state, the statement that we read in our inquirers class, our membership class, if you will, is we are to seek to serve more than to be served. Sometimes we have the attitude, the statement goes on, sometimes we have the attitude that the church should do more for us when in fact we are the church. If something isn't being done, then we are the ones not doing it. Too often people slip into the consumer mentality of looking for what they want rather than doing what the Lord wants. We go on, and I'll just briefly say, we go on by saying that the way you become a servant is you need to discover your gifts and your abilities. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each has received a gift use it to serve one another as as God's stewards, as good stewards, sorry, of God's varied gifts. How do you determine your gifts and abilities? Develop a servant's heart. Ephesians 6:7 says, "Serve, whole, serve wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord, not men." How do you develop a servant's heart? You're ready. This is very profound. Serve. That's how you find it. You don't need a test. You don't need someone. Just start serving. You'll find out where you're gifted. Galatians 5:13 says, "For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh." but through love serve one another. So I think clearly in Scripture you see leadership, people given to the church to help the church to grow so that they can learn and so that they then can be involved in doing ministry. I did a sermon one time and someone came up to me afterwards and they said, they said boy, Tim, you are a meddler. That's what they said to me. I think it was a compliment. I don't really like to be known as that, but I'll just be honest with you. I'm going to meddle just a little bit. As right now, as I try to do a little bit of application by looking at some of the things in the church, I hope you won't be put off. I hope you won't let self say, I don't need to hear this. I personally appreciate it when people stretch my mind and help me to see things, see places where I need to grow, and where you know I like to be stretched out of my comfort zone. So let's call meddling just attempt. Uh, it's, this is an attempt to stretch you a little bit out of your comfort zone. I'm going to show you how responsibility and self battles against each other. Let's first talk about Sunday morning or you could say Sunday morning and Sunday morning worship services. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it's it's not my favorite verse, but it's one of my favorite verses. Let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We used to call it the salad passage. Let us encourage one another. Let us build one another up. Boy, you guys are slow. It must be the time change. Now, before I say anything more, I want to point this out to you. And I know you know this. I'm not giving you a revelation. But if you claim the name of Christ, every believer who has claimed the name of Christ at some point in their life, either as a young child or as older, they realized that they were sinners every believer, every person who has claimed the name of Christ, at some point in their life, realized they were lost in their sins and they had no way out. And at some point, whether young or older, they realized that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and they needed Him. They needed to accept His gift on the cross. And at some point, they might not have used these exact words, but they do what Romans 10, 9 says. That if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. If you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Never forget that. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And I'm picking up on the word Lord because that means authority. That means power, one having power over us, authority over us. We give our lives to Christ. He saves us from our sins and we then have a responsibility to serve Him. It's all about Him. And if you take a fair, if really, practically speaking, just a fair understanding of Scripture makes me wonder why, and I'm speaking predominantly about Grace Community Church who has two services, why would anyone come to church one hour and go home? I'm I'm sure there's exceptions, but think about that for a moment. I'm amazed by the way how many people don't make attending the corporate worship service a priority for them? Sometimes people come to church and maybe they serve in the children's department, God bless you for doing that, or maybe they go to an ABF, or maybe they even go to an elective, or maybe they serve doing um, greeting or, or uh, security or something like that, and then they go home. They don't even go to the worship service. I don't know how you justify that in scripture. We should all be in the corporate worship services. It should be a priority for our lives. Self says, here's how self works. And I'm speaking predominantly about Sunday morning. How can I best profit from this morning? How how can I get out of what I want out of this morning? What is best for my life? I, me, my, and mine. That's self. Somebody once told me that's the four worst words that are used in the church today. I, me, my, mine. Self goes on and says, I'm busy all week long. It's my day of rest. I'm tired. What would have happened if Jesus had said, I'm not going to go to the cross because I'm tired? My kids can't handle that long of a day. You don't know what you're asking. They do it all week long, but they can't do it during church. It's called parenting. We pay the pastors, let them do it. That's self. Why is it, by the way, we, we fill our lives up with all the things of the world, and when we start prioritizing, the, the person that takes, takes the brunt of it is the Lord. Why don't we let some of the worldly things go so we can not so tired when it comes to Sunday? Responsibility says, I need to be involved. I need to be there. How can I minister to others? How can I build up the body of Christ? Service one hour at our church, and then, I mean, uh, the, the worship service one hour, and then learning or serving the second hour. I, I don't know how you can get, get away from that if you're really going to look at, at Scripture. Let's talk about membership. A lot of people don't want to join the church anymore. I know I'm preaching to the choir right now because most, many of you are members. But a lot of people don't want to serve anymore. Here's what self says. I don't need to join to be a part of the church. I can do all the same things that I do now without joining the church. No, you can't. You can't. There are some things you can't do unless you're a member of this church. But self says, well, that's okay. I won't do those things. I'll do the things I can do. Self. I, me, my, mine, and by the way, no one really has the right to tell me what to do. That's ultimately what it comes down to. Responsibility says, I need, I need to commit to this. Serving. Self says, I'm with kids all week long, I don't need to be with them on Sunday too. Self says, it's my day. I work all, I work all day, every day, I don't want to work when I go to church on Sunday someone else can watch my kids while I go and serve by being in the worship service and then I'll go home. Responsibility says I can't go home while others are serving. I need to be involved even though it might be uncomfortable for me. If something isn't being done I need to get in there and start doing it because Jesus is Lord. I've heard Christine DeHaan up here doing announcements. I love her doing announcements. She makes me laugh and I just I just love everything about her. And she's been encouraging ladies to go to women's retreat. Let's just talk about that for a moment. Self says, I don't do retreats. Self says, I'm not gonna go because I'm not gonna get anything out of it. I don't need it. It's not my thing. I'm too busy. I simply don't want to go. I don't need anything that it has to offer. It's not the best use of my time. Okay, I do somewhat understand that. I know many of you won't believe this, but I'm an introvert by nature. Groups of people wear me out. And when I was in youth ministry, which by the way, you should pray for your youth pastors, because they go to more retreats than you'll ever, than you'll, they've forgotten more retreats than you'll ever go to. And when I was a youth pastor, I thought, doggone it, I don't want to go to another retreat. I'm tired. I've gone to every men's retreat. It's not my thing. It's not what I want to do. You don't get a lot of rest, by the way. But I thought, maybe the Lord wants to use me. Maybe the Lord wants to use you, ladies. And you know what's funny about that is sometimes Self tells you don't, don't go, you talk yourself out of it, you go and, you go to serve the Lord, and every now and then the Lord shows up and teaches you something, it's crazy. Men's game night, three on three basketball, self says, not my thing, I'm not athletic, I don't like games, I don't need to be out another night. <laughs> Responsibility says, I can't believe I just did that, I didn't do that in the first service, I'm sorry. Responsibility says, maybe the Lord wants to use me in some way in the lives of the men that come to that event. Now, I understand, folks, you've got to prioritize. I do. And I understand that you can't do everything. I am not saying every time the church doors are open, you need to be there. I'm not saying that. But I fear that what we do is when we prioritize, we let the world do all, we do all the things the world gives us to do, and then we cut out the Lord. And I think we need to balance that a little better is what I'm saying. Um, Small groups, self says, not my thing, I don't need to be out another night, I don't need a group. Responsibility says, maybe someone else needs me to be there. Maybe the Lord wants to use me. And by the way, as someone who has gone through tragedy, There is nothing like your small group when you need someone to come alongside of you and care for you. And you never know when that's going to happen. How about money? It's my money. And by golly, I'll do whatever I want with it. It belongs to me. Responsibility says it comes from the Lord. All that I have comes from him. And he only asks for a portion for the church, which he gave the keys to the kingdom of heaven, by the way. He asks for a portion. And so we say, responsibility says, I'm going to give to the work of the Lord through my church, and I am going to do all I can to help the kingdom to grow in that way, and I'm going to worship him in that way. And by the way, I want to say that none of the things we're talking about is age-specific. Please hear that. Nothing is age-specific. You're never too young to serve the Lord. The Apostle Paul, speaking to Timothy, said, Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. And never underestimate what can be done in a young person who has, gotten a, who, who has had the Lord get a hold of their heart. And never forget that we are never too old to serve. We never should get to the point where we say, I've done my part, now we need to let the young guys take over. What would we do without the wisdom that comes from the gray hairs as as Scripture refers? We need those folks. You never get to the point where you can stop serving. Get a medal? Maybe just a little bit. I hope you will think about those things throughout the week. I want to leave you with a, a movie and a quote. I don't know if you have seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge. How many of you have seen that movie? Not that many. I watched it last weekend. It's not an easy movie to watch. It's not. It's kind of like a Saving Private Ryan type movie. I mean it's World War II, it's people getting shot, it's it's gross, it's all those things. But the movie Hacksaw Ridge is the true story of PFC Desmond Doss, who won the Congressional Medal of Honor despite refusing to carry weapons. He was a medic and he refused to touch a gun. And the the movie shares it really wasn't because of his faith, it was because of something that happened to him as a kid. But he, he refused to touch a gun. And Hacksaw Ridge was this, was, you'd, the, these men had to go up this cliff on a, like a cargo net to get up to the battleground. And they went up and they were trying to take this ridge. And they would, they would go up, they would engage the enemy, they would be, they would be uh, uh, driven back. They would go up and engage the enemy and be driven back. And ultimately, Desmond Doss's company was sent up on the ridge. And there was this big battle. And he was running around, you know, as a medic, caring for people. Um, but ultimately, they were driven back. And the, 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 the Americans left the ridge and came down. And Desmond Doss stayed up there on the battleground. And he saved, he is credited with saving 75 lives. Now, I understand movies. I'm not sure how, how completely accurate it is because I know there's, there's, you know, they're movies. But he is credited with saving 75 lives. And what he did was he was taking these guys and he was getting them and he was bringing them to the, to the ledge and he had this rope and he made a harness to let these guys down. And he, he would lower these guys down. The, his hands, I can imagine it showed, were all tore up from like road burns. I mean from rope burns, you know, as this rope was going down. And he was letting them go and it went on all night long. And he kept saving guys. And of course, he was trying to evade the enemy that was up there that was going around killing people that had been injured, that kind of thing. And what struck me, every time he would do it, I would go, leave, leave. And in my head, I just couldn't help it. I would think, leave. But he would say, one more, Lord. Just give me one more. And I tell that to you. I would encourage you to see the movie because it's very inspiring. But what, I, what, what I, I'm telling you about is because Desmond Doss realized something that we all need to realize. And that is that God has gifted us to do something and we need to do it. He saved those men because he believed God had a vision for him. One more, Lord. Just one more. Just give me one more. That's the way we ought to be thinking. J. Vernon McGee, whether you agree with him or not, um, was a Presbyterian pastor. He died in 1981. He was an ordained uh, Presbyterian pastor. He, led a, he, led a, he was, became a pastor of a non-denominational church. He was a Bible teacher and theologian, a radio minister. Uh, he served as the chairman of the Bible department at the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, Biola University. And he was a visiting lecturer at Dallas Theological Seminary. I would like to read to you a quote from his um, commentary on Ephesians which was written in 1991. Here's what J. Vernon McGee says. This is him speaking. I am going to talk to you very frankly. Don't expect your pastors to do it all. They are there to train you that you might do the work of the ministry and that the church might become mature. We are not to act like a bunch of nitwits today. We are to give good, clear-cut, intelligent witness to the world. I think the greatest sin in the local church today is the ignorance of the man sitting in the pew. He doesn't know the Word of God, and that is a tragedy. I would hate to get into an airplane if the pilot didn't know, about, didn't know more about flying than the average church member knows about Christianity and the Word of God. The plane wouldn't make it. I think it would crash before it got 10 feet into the air. That is the condition of the church today. All believers need to be trained in the Word of God so they can do the work of the ministry. Please stand. I'm going to ask you a question. It's rhetorical, which means don't answer except in your head. What is one of the primary witnessing tools that we as believers have? What is one of the primary witnessing tools that we as believers have? How we interact with one another is the answer. How we care for one another is the answer. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. God bless you all. Serve the Lord. Have a great day.